0: I just felt like sitting and listening to that for a little longer. <laughs> uh, my name is Ken Whitesmith. I haven't had the opportunity to meet you uh, yet. And before we get started this morning, there's a couple things that I need to say. Uh, the first is this. Uh, the, the thoughts and opinions of Guy Gleason in no way reflect the state of positions of Antioch Church. Uh, no cards on that, Please. Uh, Second thing is, is, uh, I I screwed up this week, and so I'm just going to put in a a little uh, I'm sorry kind of thing. My wife and I wanted to do a Christmas party at our house. We've got some neighbors in the area that we wanted to invite young families, Uh, plus we can only fit about five people in our house. It's about that big. Uh, And so we were trying to figure out how to word it, but we also wanted to include some singles that we know that are a little bit over the age of uh, Mosaic, but aren't married yet, and so... Instead of uh, calling it Young Family, I just slapped the label Antioch Christmas Party on it, thinking it was generic. And what I should have called it was a Young Family and Singles Party, because what that communicated was, this is going to be the Antioch Christmas Party, and anyone that's not the age of 24 to 40 is not welcome or invited. And uh, on top of that, God probably doesn't love you. Um, <laughs> that was not what I wanted to communicate. I didn't want this to be the only Christmas party party. We've got something in the works to try and do something on Christmas Eve, which would just be a little get-together with cider and different things like that and some, some caroling. Um, so it was just a, a young family and singles thing. It wasn't supposed to be uh, something that made other people feel excluded, unloved, not welcome, uh, and I took full responsibility for that. Uh, I'm used to it in my life. I say the wrong thing a lot. So, um, so I wanted to just clarify on that. Uh, also, if you have experience with or would like to gain experience with editing video, uh, making in-house videos, taking the things uh, that we're filming and doing and kind of putting that together, Uh, if you're a Macintosh person or something like that, I would love for you to come talk to me. We really need help uh, with those of you that are gifted that way. So if you have the time and would be willing to help us with that, uh, I'd sure appreciate it. And I realize, since a lot of you don't know me, it would be kind of fun the first couple of weeks, I didn't say that much about myself, to just show some pictures of my family, because uh, I am married, I do have kids, I know that's hard to believe, um, but that's Esther on the left, that's our middle child, and Sarah's in the middle, and Mary Joy is our oldest on the right, she turns five in uh, on November 22nd, which was Thanksgiving morning when she was born, which was kind of cool. And just so you know, that's also the anniversary of C.S. Lewis's death, which, anyways. Uh, And that's my wife, Tamara, with Sarah right there. That was when we were at the coast a couple weeks ago. Um, And Tamara is incredible. And if you go up to Children's Church today, that's who's doing Children's Church today, if you dropped your kids off there. And then this is a picture of me from college. I'm the one on the left. Um, It was a lot better back then, so... Anyways, what we did last week, let's go ahead and jump in. What we did last week was we wanted to start talking about what Jesus says about following Jesus. Kind of the the whole idea behind this was when I first came to to really have a relationship with Jesus Christ when I was 22 years old, I was amazed that what I'd always heard growing up uh, seemed so fluffy and so shallow and, uh, you know, Jesus, it kind of gave me a picture of Jesus like we've all seen with the blue eyes, and it's like he's watching a Disney movie that you just can't see. Uh, and that wasn't the picture I got of Jesus when I started reading the New Testament. When I read the New Testament, it, I was confronted with a strong, masculine man that didn't budge on the important things. He just said it like it was. And the onus was on me to either step up or to to choose to walk away. And so what we decided was, uh, last week, let's look at what Jesus says about following Jesus. Let's not take what other people have told us. And so it was basically this, it was come and die. It it was that Jesus says, eat me. Uh, And if you need to know what that means, you can come see me afterwards. But he literally said that. And then it was all or nothing. And so it's kind of like that Alamo movie, the, uh, the one when I was growing up, Davy Crockett, remember that? And the guy draws the line in the sand, and you had to choose whether you were going to step over that line, and you knew what that meant. And so you had to choose to, in a sense, you know, die to yourself. I'm, I'm choosing to, to side with this, these people, and I know that I'm putting my own self and my own wants and wishes kind of by the wayside. And so Jesus is kind of saying that. And so that's what we talked about last week, and this week we're kind of going to uh, jump into part two of that, and so we're going to start right off and it's the thing that follows from that. Jesus draws the line in the sand, and I like that. if you're going to challenge me, challenge me with something big. you know, give me something that's that's worth climbing or getting excited about. Don't just give me this small challenge, and I love how Jesus does that, and if we choose to accept that challenge, that call of Jesus. This is what follows from it. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, follow me. There are 30 times in the New Testament where Jesus says, follow me. 30 times. And I'll just read a couple of them. Uh, Matthew 4.19, come, follow me. Jesus says to these fishermen, and I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 8.22, Jesus tells a young man that was kind of procrastinating, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. It's pretty harsh words. The calling of Matthew, he goes to the tax collector booth and he just says, follow me. Matthew gets up and follows him. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who would come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, Go and give all what you've got to the poor and then come follow me. And Jesus goes on and on and on and he says, do your business let go of what you need to let go of, see the line, be willing to step across the line, follow me. And we're all going to say, whether we're new to Christianity or not, we're all going to say, yeah, I know that. I've heard that. I've seen, you know, the, the made-for-TV miniseries movies, and I, I've seen the line in there, and Jesus always goes up to people and says, follow me. Yeah, I know that. I understand that. But we don't really fully understand that. We think by follow me, Jesus means Um, claim him, you know, that we would wear a cross or or get a bumper sticker or uh, get a Bible out and put it on the coffee table instead of on top of the bookshelf and, and basically claim, yeah, I'm a Christian. And what Jesus means by follow me is so much more radical. We're under the opinion in America that when we accept Christ, we add something to our life. I'm taking Jesus on. I'm adding it to what I've already got. What Jesus means by follow me is this, you add yourself to Jesus. You don't add him to you and then then kind of go on the way you're going. You basically tell yourself and say, I'm closing the door to all other things because I'm adding myself to Jesus and now I'm going to follow him and go where he leads. It's so much more radical than what we make of it. And faith becomes genuine in that act of following. And and simply, this is the way it looks. We're kind of like metal filings. And if you've ever seen metal filings, you know how you can get a magnet and you can make them dance and do all sorts of things? Well, we're metal filings. And where we go, what we follow shows what we think is the biggest thing and the most desirable thing in our life. And so when we say, I see Jesus, I wave at Jesus, I... I claim Jesus, I think Jesus is great, but we get pulled a different direction. It basically shows that that thing or that direction or whatever's over there, that we think in our heart it's bigger and more attractive than Jesus is. If we don't follow Jesus and get bent that way, then he is not the biggest thing in our life. And that's why Jesus never hedged on the call to follow him that it was all or nothing he had to be the most important thing he's the biggest magnet so the call from jesus is follow me and the second thing and if you just open your bibles and like guy was saying we've got book lights now we're high tech here there's even like they're they're not even halogen little ones they're little leds which are kind of cool john chapter 15 um if you can open your bible we're going to have it on the screen too if you don't have it in your bible But John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11, and we're going to see that Jesus says, take my joy, take my joy. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now here's the command, now remain in my love. And if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus said, take my joy. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that? I think we're under the impression that Jesus isn't a tyrant. Like he doesn't want to come up and the first thing he's going to do to you is make you unhappy. Like we don't really believe that, but it's kind of like the t-shirt. Have you ever seen the t-shirt? Uh the last thing I'd want to do is hurt you, um, but it's still on the list. <laughs> you ever seen that t-shirt? We think that Jesus is that way. It's 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 not that the first thing he wants to do is, is just make you unhappy, but it's still on the list. We kind of carry that latent kind of feeling with, that if I trust myself to Jesus, somewhere along the way, he wants to extinguish the flame. Because Christians aren't supposed to be happy, right? I don't know where we got that idea, but we kind of just carry that with us. But Jesus said, take my joy. Now, I want to show you kind of the formula here. And so, in the beginning, he says, Now, remain in my love. That's what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to remain in his love. It's kind of like, follow me, right? We're supposed to be where he's at. We're supposed to be with him. Now, how? How do we remain in that love? By obeying his commands. Now, the interesting thing here is, we think God gives us commands and desires our obedience, or Jesus gives us commands and desires our obedience Just because that's what gods do—is they boss us around. That's just—I mean—that's kind of the way we see it. And that's about as silly as thinking that the reason I'm driving is to obey the street signs. That's all it is—is I'm obeying the street signs. Good. The street signs have nothing to do with it. They just help get you to where you're going, and they help you kind of fit with all the other cars on the road. And what Jesus is saying here is obedience is a means to an end. It's not the end in itself. It's just going to keep you on the right road so that, here's the why, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus said, take my joy. I think our frustration with obedience is this. Um, If you just imagine something really desirable, say you're going to a concert so you're going to a Coldplay concert. Um, if you're Kip, you're going to a Barbra Streisand concert. Uh, but either way, you're going to a concert. You're running a little bit late. You're in the passenger seat, okay? And there's the concert. You see the stadium. You can see the lights. You're not driving. You really want to get there. And you kind of start to feel like, you know what? We're going the wrong direction. I got to get there, I got to get there quick, I'm running out of time, we're going the wrong direction, I'm not in control of the steering wheel, I'm being pulled somewhere I don't want to go, and not only is it somewhere we don't want to go, but we're getting further away from where we're supposed to be. You know that feeling? Can you imagine that feeling? Like you, you start just going stir-crazy in your seat, and you, you end up getting in a fight with whoever's driving, and, and you just can't let it go because you know you're being taken away from your goal, where you're supposed to be going. I think that's our problem with obedience, is we, we see where God's trying to take us, and we see where we want to go, and we begin to doubt that where God's taken us is going to really get us where we want to go, or that it's really going to be what's best for us. And so these oh, commands to be obedient, these rules... It, They kind of create in us sometimes that that sense of panic and frustration, and sooner or later we either have to let go and trust that God does know what He's doing; He is going to get us where we need to go, or what happens? We we bail out, you know. We do the twenty miles an hour, open the door, and and do the roll, right, and and start trying to go back and say, God couldn't get me there. I got to take matters in my own hand, and I'm going to start hiking back to that Coldplay concert. And what Jesus is saying is you got to trust. Stay with me. Remain in my love. Abide with me. Follow the rules. Be in the spot you're supposed to be in. Do what you're supposed to do. Why? They're just road signs. It's not the end. It's the means to the end. I want you to take my joy. I want you to be happy. I told you when I first became a Christian, I felt like a sucker because people had told me about a Jesus that didn't match up with the Jesus I read in the New Testament. And I hate being a sucker. Being a sucker is b- believing something that's not true, right? And then you find out later, Ah, oh, I shouldn't have believed that. I was a sucker. Well, the other thing that I, I was told when I became a Christian was that we follow Christ, we follow God out of this sense of duty. You know, you get alone and you just will it up. Say, this is miserable, I'm going to put my Christian sour face on. Uh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, by golly, I'm going to be obedient. And all those happy people, uh, at least I'm a good person. At least I'm a good Christian, right? And to me, that just makes Jesus a tyrant. How can we say that Jesus is here to help us when the end result is a bunch of sour faces? What would it be if you went up to someone and said, let me help you, and then 10 minutes later, they're more miserable than when you got there. You know, I, I've had a, a professor in seminary that was a pastor for many years, and his elder board told him that, that he could no longer make hospital visits because he was so high-strung in type A that when he'd go into those hospital rooms, the blood pressure and the, the machines would start going crazy on the people he's visiting, right? Um, and so his elder board told him, "You <laughs> need let us do that. You, know, you stop doing that. If you go to help someone, what should be the end result? Their life improves. The good life, the right life, a flourishing soul, right, should be the outcome of help. How can we say Jesus is Lord, that he's good, that he's a good shepherd, that he's here to help, that he's better than all the other options or or things available to us if the end result is a sour face and we're more miserable? Jesus said, take my joy. Take my joy. Third thing Jesus says, and it flows right out of that first, that second one. Jesus says, Come and live. So last week we talked about come and die. And here's kind of the the culmination of that come and live. John 10, verse, well, we'll just read the whole paragraph actually. Go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and we'll begin reading in verse 7. And this is what Jesus says. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. Does that sound good? It's flourishing sheep, right? And he's talking in a metaphor. Whoever finds Jesus is going to find what is good in life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come, I came so that we or you, I mean, think about this, could have life and have it to the full. You know, there's an interesting thing. When I was in college, I took a—I was an engineering student, um, thanks to my dad—and so when I took electives, I took the easiest things I could find. And so I remember taking an elective. It was a film class, and you learn all about these films and you watch some crazy films. And one of the things was the camera distances and angles and things like that. And so you have the bird's eye view, which is really far away, and then you have kind of the far away view. And then there's like a medium range. And then there's a close-up. And then there's an extreme close-up. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, you can imagine that, right? Picture Jesus right now. Just picture him. I'll tell you something that I don't think you probably knew before. And and I could be wrong. I'm willing to bet every single person in this room, out of all of us, nobody just pictured an extreme close-up. I'm willing to bet all of you have like a medium or a long range shot. There's Jesus kind of walking around with his disciples or there's Jesus teaching on the hill or there's Jesus on the cross. And maybe it's the movies that have done it to us. I don't know. But what I've learned is I've never found a person that if you say Jesus immediately thinks of like an extreme close up or a close up. The other thing is we always picture Jesus looking at something else. So do something a little hard for me right now. Picture Jesus looking at you and smiling. Close your eyes. Picture Jesus not looking by you or at a group. He's looking right at you and he's smiling. Isn't it strange that that's so hard to imagine? Jesus said, I came so that you might live, have fullness of life I delight in you. I take joy in this relationship. You're a sheep and I know you by name. I take care of you. Look into my eyes. It's okay. I love you. It's an interesting thing, but Jesus said, come and live. He also says, I know the sheep by name. I'll I'll go back so that you can get this one. Verse 3 of the same chapter. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You're not just a number, you're a name. The Lord that you have, the person that you're following, you're not just a hidden face. Remember the story about the lady that fights through the crowds and just touches Jesus' garment? And what does Jesus do? He stops. He stops. Says, who was that? Who was that person? I want to know that name. I want to be in a, I want to look in her eyes and smile. And somehow we got to get a sense of that. I was watching uh, TBN the other day, which is you know where you stop when there's nothing else on TV. TBN is that Christian station uh, for all the Christians with bad hair. Um, and I was I was watching uh, TBN. And the, there's this guy on there, and uh, it was just amazing to me. And so here's this guy, and uh, I, I probably shouldn't tell you his name, but his initials are Benny Hinn. Um, and, and here's, here's Benny, uh, and this is what he was pitching. He showed you on the screen a picture of his brand-new jet. Okay, his. with The little Benny Hinn insignia on the side of the jet. Okay? I don't know how much those cost. You can't get them at Target, but um so here's his jet. Now here's the pitch, okay? For $1,000, he's got a prayer room in his jet. For $1,000, your name can be etched into the wall. Like, you know, I've been to Disneyland. If you've been to Disneyland and seen the names on the the stones in the courtyard there, um why do they do that? For money. Okay. Um so Benny Hinn says, you know, for a thousand dollars, I can scratch your name into my prayer room so that I can lift you up in prayer. For ten thousand dollars, there's this strip around the door to the jet, and I can scratch your name into my door so that I, I pray for you often. Okay. Um, to Benny Hinn, your name is nothing but scratching on his door um that lets him know you're that you're a sucker. Okay. Uh To Jesus, your name is everything. Because he's not just out to get your money. He's not just out to prove something to you. He's out to add you to him. Because he's a shepherd and he delights in caring for and having a relationship with us. And he wants to know your name. And when you come into that relationship, you recognize his voice. And he knows your name. And he cares for you that way. So, the first thing here, Jesus said, Come and live. And he says it as a shepherd. So, if you want to write that down there, Jesus says, Come and live. And he says it as a shepherd. He's not a fruitcake like Benny Han. Okay? He's the good shepherd. The second thing is this Jesus says it as a savior. So, come and live. Jesus says it as a shepherd come and live, Jesus says it as a savior. So here's the verse, okay? Jesus says in John 12, 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Unless it dies, it cannot produce anything, but if it does die, it can give life to other things. So here's the idea: we're 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 a little bit messed up, as people. I love in C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. There's um, they're, they're on Mars, and there's no original sin, right? And so the character modeled ransom. It's modeled after J.R. Tolkien, who's a linguist, is with this tribe of people on Mars. Um, so it's imaginary. It's not you know, non-fiction. Uh, and he's trying to communicate to them about the people on the silent planet. That's why the name of the book is called Out of the Silent Planet. And that planet is silent and it's dark. Why? Because it fell. There's sin. And so he's trying to communicate to people this concept of sin that have never known sin. So they don't have a word in their vocabulary for it. And the word that, that Tolkien's character kind of comes up with is, the people on that planet are bent. They're bent. We're all a little bit goofy. It's it's like the Disneyland caricature, you know? The, they take something and they, they expand on it. For me, it'd be the nose. For you, it'd be the ears or the chin or who knows what, right? But it's a caricature of what it would be if you were in proportion. And we're all a little bit bent. We're all caricatures. Something's messed up. And so, so what I liken it to is we're a car that's jacked up. It's got its back wheels, rear-wheel drive car. It's got its back wheels jacked up. And we can do a lot of self-help things in our life. And we can get that thing fine-tuned, and we can get it the throttle opened way up, and we can get those wheels spinning. Uh, but unless we're released, unless those jacks are knocked out from underneath us, right? Unless we're set free all that other stuff is meaningless. And so Jesus says, come and live, and he says it as a savior. That's the gospel, is I'm going to take care of you and all these other things, but i got to get it going in the first place. And unless I die and fix what's broke with, with mankind, what's broke with you, what's broke with me, unless I get the jacks out from underneath you, you're going to go nowhere. And so I want to show you a video clip that I think better than anything else expresses this. It's from the movie Les Mis. And so Jean Valjean has been running his whole life because he's wanted by the law. And he's a good man, but he's been running his whole life, and he's not really free. And the inspector is law-bound. The law has to be satisfied. And so he spent his whole life chasing Jean Valjean. And so watch what happens between the law and the and grace. And then what comes about it when you see Jean Valjean walking away at the end. Make sure you look at his eyes. So, go ahead and watch that. Bring him here. That is an important memo for the Prefect. We'll explain what I've done with the prisoner. Make sure he sees it before breakfast. sir. I'm glad I had time to myself. I needed to think about what you deserve. You're a difficult problem. Move to the edge. Why aren't you taking me in? You're my prisoner. Do what I tell you. You don't understand the importance of the law. I've given you an order. Obey it. Why didn't you kill me? I don't have the right to kill you. But you hate me. I don't hate you. I don't feel anything. You don't want to go back to the quarries, do you? Then for once we agree. I'm going to spare you from a life in prison, Jean Valjean. It's a pity the rules don't allow me to be merciful. free. Jesus said, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Now, I think one of the hardest things about Christianity is the claim that Jesus is the way. And it's a hard claim. Why does Jesus have to be so exclusive? Why do you have to think you're the only one that's right? Jesus came to set us free, to lead us, Uh, to bring us the good life, the full life, the flourishing life that we need. He wants to be our shepherd. He died so that we might live. And so when we say, uh, Jesus is the way, to argue with that in my mind is like saying to a mother that says, I'm the best thing for this one-month-old infant I've got. Why do you have to think so highly of yourself? What's up with that pride? Why do you look down on everybody else? It just doesn 't make sense, or if you look at the the Golden Gate Bridge and say, Why do you have to say it 's only those suspensions that are holding it up? I mean, what about the density of the air or like some of these other things? I mean, why do you have to be so exclusive well, when I say Jesus is the way i 'm not trying to be elitist. I think if we understand it right, we see Jesus. And we understand he, he is the way. When you write your address, do you just change the, the street name every now and then just because, I mean, you don't want to be exclusive? I mean, would be silly, right? Because no matter how you start to get to your house, sooner or later it's going to lead to only one street that you can take to get to your house. The way to your house. And there's a whole lot of things that lead to Jesus But sooner or later, he's the only one that's going to be able to kick out the the jacks from underneath the car. He's the only one that's going to be able to set us free, turn us loose, release us, allow all the other great things in our life. And there's a lot of great things in our life. And I do believe in people. We are life-affirming people. Just meet the the leaders of Mosaic. I mean, these are great people. Um, But unless we get turned loose, nothing else matters. Unless we come to that way, that one road that's going to be able to get us to say that house, nothing else gets started. It's not about pride or ego or exclusivism. It's about a savior and a shepherd that's standing there with a line in front of him and saying, I care, but you got to come and follow me. You got to come and follow me. Unless the son has set you free, if the son has set you free. And you are free indeed. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, it is not always easy to trust. Uh, you sent your son. More than anyone else, he took serious what sin is and what sin does. He chose to die that we might live But it's not always easy to accept that. It's not always easy to walk in light of that. And I just pray this morning a simple prayer. That you would give us a dissatisfaction with anything other than your son. And that you would stoke the fires, that you would fan the fires of our desire for your son. May he become greater, may everything else become less, whether it's jobs, money, family, stress, worry, fear, insecurities. God, all these things, may they become less as your son becomes more. Let us hunger for our joy enough to fight for it by obeying your son. In Christ's name.